What up, survivors? Welcome to D180, the horror movie podcast, taking you on a ride. Thanks for linking up for this bonus mini-sode. I'm AJ. And I'm Janae. Y'all got another bonus mini-sode. And it's dropping on Friday, the same day as a regular episode? Who are we? July isn't even over. Well, next week, when Friday the 13th drops, that'll be seven episodes in one month. Yeah, that's that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Y'all need to um, open y'all purses, I'm just saying. But let's get right to it. We're here to talk about the latest trilogy that just wrapped, excuse me, on Netflix, Fear Street. Let me tell you something. I did not read the books, so I'm not about to act like I was hyped for this and I've been waiting for this. No, 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 no. I was just hyped for this off of the trailer, off the fact that it's R.L. Stein. I mean, if you don't know R.L., I mean, you know, get out, bye. If you didn't read Goosebumps, I mean, come on now, let's be real. But when I also saw who was behind it, we've talked about this a few times in some of our past shows, talking about Lee Janik, who actually did the honeymoon movie we covered in February. And this is actually her second, third, and fourth movie, if you want to count it like that. And I think she does amazing. So much better than Honeymoon. In John May's opinion. So what Lee decided to do, instead of just taking the material and just bringing it to life, giving you just a straight adaptation of the book, she decided to take like little pieces out of the Fear Street series. Let's take something from the cheerleaders. Let's take something from the Fear family. Let's take something from over here, da, 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 and put it all in one. And honestly, I don't have a problem with it. Like, I don't know about you guys. Like I said, I ain't spend time with the material. I don't have my heart in this like a lot of you guys do. But I think it does a good job of sewing things together. I mean, it all made sense to me. Yeah, it made sense to me. I didn't have a um, a background in Fear Street as a lot of other people who I've listened to reviews and stuff over the past couple of days. Um, for me, this is completely brand new. And overall, I loved how everything was weaved together. So to wrap it all up, Survivors, like I said, this is a bonus mini episode. This is a mini-sode, so we got three movies to cover. And trust me, as bad as I want to point out Easter eggs to y'all, I can't. If you want a deep dive or you just want to talk to us about it, you can hit us up on our Twitter at D180Podcast. And tell them what they want to hear. Well, that's it. Get right into Fear Street 1994. Dude, what the hell? This is exactly why you have no friends. Look. Some gal killed a bunch of people at the mall last night. Holy shit. Another shady side tragedy. Fits the narrative, right? Sarah Fear's back. Christ, not you two. There's no angry dead witch. The only thing that made him go crazy is this town. The dude was wearing a Halloween skull mask. How is that not fun? Guys, I think there's someone in the woods. one night and dead people are trying to kill us. Maybe we are doomed. She was so sexy, but so crazy. Normal bitches don't bleed black blood. How do we not die? 
I'm looking at you, witch nerd. You can't stop it. Taking place on October 1st, 1994, which was my second birthday, a bookstore employee, Heather Watkins, is murdered by her friend Ryan, who prior to shown no indication that he planned on killing her outside of him recently scaring her. After murdering her and several mall employees, he's shot to death by Sheriff Good. The next day, the media is calling this massacre the norm for Shadyside, actually is known for being the killer capital. Meanwhile, the neighboring town of Sunnyvale is the polar opposite, considered to be one of the richest and safest cities in the country. Majority of the Shadyside residents, mainly the teenagers, believe that this is a result of the witch, Sarah Fear. Word on the street is she placed a curse on the town before she was executed for witchcraft in 1666. Dina Johnson, she don't believe in the fear witch. Her little brother, you know, he's a little nerdy type. He likes to research the town history. He even has a full wall of like full of the articles and such. Her friends, Simon and Kate, they're cool kids, but there are known drug dealers around the school. And to round it all out, Dina is going through a breakup. And not just any breakup, a breakup with her closeted girlfriend, Sam, who now lives in the aforementioned rival town, Sunnyvale. The exes end up meeting again at a vigil in Sunnyvale for the victims of the mall killings. And of course, of course, a brawl breaks out between the schools. After a few Sunnyvale kids, Sam and her boyfriend Peter included, trail and taunt the Shadyside students on a bus. Dina, mainly due to a nosebleed, some bad timing, and a little something else, causes a car accident that puts Sam in a hospital. However, before Sam is taken off, she sees a vision of the fear witch. Following this incident, the kids end up being stalked by, you know, who they initially think is Peter, cause you know, gotta get them back, kids don't quit. And they're wearing the skull mask costume. Who else would it be, right? However, when Dina and her friends go visit Sam in the hospital, they're proved wrong as it's Ryan, yes, the one who killed everybody in the massacre in the beginning, who was killed by the police, who actually killed Peter and several others in the hospital. After hearing about Sam's vision, the crew realizes that the initial accident disturbed the grave of Seraphir and Sam touched her bones. They also figure out that the killer only wants Sam and you can't stop them. They don't get tired. You can't rebury the body. You can't shoot at them. You can't destroy them. Nothing works. So remember I told you guys that Josh likes to collect all of the Shadyside town history? Well, through his article collection of the killings, they learned that C. Berman, a survivor of the Camp Nightwing massacre in 78, died, but she was resuscitated. They try to call her, no answer. So they organize a plan to kill and revive Sam using drugs from a supermarket pharmacy only for Sam to vomit up the pills. Devastatingly, and I mean devastatingly, the Shadyside killers attack and murder Simon and Kate as Dina, as a last resort, drowns Sam. The killers disappear and Dina revives Sam using a combination of EpiPens and CPR tactics. After everything, the police decide to place blame on Simon and Kate 
as they were known for selling drugs and since they are dead, they cannot protest to it. Sam and Dina reconcile and publicly come out as a couple and later that night while Sam is at her house, Dina receives a call back from C. Berman who tells her that there is no escaping the witch. Sam now possess, attacks Dina, but is subdued and tied up. And we'll stop right here. I just want to say, Sam could have died. Point blank period. You wasn't here for them saving Sam. Granted, there wouldn't have been a movie, but yeah, she, yeah. she was kind of flat to me as a character. So I wasn't caring for her. Love Josh, he was so cute. Simon, I liked him too, but I didn't really care that he died. I was more upset about Kate dying. But her I kill was, was amazing. I was very upset about Kate. I mean, valedictorian, president of almost every club and a cheerleader. Hannah dropped um, in. Baby, she is the moment and she did not deserve that death. I mean, it was the best, but it was also the saddest. Like, honey fought. Like, Kate was my favorite because honestly, I think she's one of my favorite characters in horror in a long time. Like, you know, I have my favorites, but I think she's up there because I saw myself in Kate. Like, obviously y'all know I'm a cheerleader, but I'm not perfect either. I'm not, I'm not a drug dealer, guys. Like, I'm, I'm not doing that. But I'm not the perfect shiny image of a cheerleader. And just to see that and be like, yeah, she's still doing it though, which is me, period. She's my favorite. So I hate it to see her go. Even Simon, like, employee of the month, was the mascot, was just the life of the party. And then, um, according to Phil Gratzaday, I listened to the Horror Queers podcast, and they did an interview with him. If you guys want to hear it, it's really good. I'll link it down below. He was saying that when they wrote the character of Simon, although he's not in the community, he is queer-coded. And you can pick it up so easily, but it works for that character. And I think that... Fred Hetchinger that plays him does a really, really good job at the characters. I mean, honestly, all the characters in this first installment do a pretty good job at what they're supposed to do. Hands down, my favorite was Kate. Now, I wish I would have saw more Ruby Lane though. I loved her song. I think because I hear that there possibly may be more in the works. So what I'm thinking, all of the shady side killers we don't know about we may get their stories because, you know, there's Ruby Lane, there's the Milkman, there's that little boy, and then there's the dude with the mask, the longer mask. So that's four more killers. There was apparently somebody called the Humpty Dumpty Killer. In the movie? Like, if you paid attention to, um, like, the paper stories and stuff like that, there was a backstory um, for the Humpty Dumpty Killer. He, like, strikes again or something like that. Um, and apparently the backstory that they had in mind for him was that he kills people and takes their body parts and makes new people out of them, you know, sewing them back together like Humpy Dumpy. Mm. But she wasn't sure which era to have him run, run amok in and decided to leave him for another movie. Um, and But there's actually an article where all of the killers that were mentioned, if not verbally, but in the background in some shorter shape or fashion, like paper articles and stuff like that, there was more than just the ones that we saw. Yeah, and I mean, obviously it's an entire universe, so that was obvious, but yeah, I'm, I'm just here interested for the to see. 
where she goes with it. I mean, overall, I think 94 is a great, it's a great slasher. There's so much tension building that I enjoy with this installment. Cause like I said, y'all, y'all, I, soon as it dropped on Netflix, I watched it. Y'all heard me say it a few episodes ago. I did not waste any time watching this first one. The opening scene is the first line when Heather goes, it begins as a prank and ended in murder. Literally not only sums up the opening scene, but sums up the entire movie when you think about it, right? Because they were only going to splash water on the car. They didn't intend for a whole car accident to happen. It started as a prank and ended up with hella murders in Shady's side. Like, I just thought that was perfect. Y'all know me, I'm always down for an homage. Definitely got the screen vibes. I feel like there were other movies. Like, I got hints of... I know what you did last summer when they were pulling up in the car scene, chasing behind the bus. Like, I kind of got that vibe from that. There were other movies too, but I can't um, come to think of them right now. But I also like the consistency that's throughout the series, but it starts in this one with the fly. Nothing's wrong with Ryan until you hear the fly buzzing and hear the whispering. Yeah. It changed you a little bit because throughout the series, and I'm gonna bring this up, every time you hear it, you know something's about to happen. Like you just hear that fly buzzing, you just like, well, here it comes. Someone's about to die. The cinematography is great. Some things you really don't notice until maybe you watch it a second time. Like for example, at the end of the opening scene, where um, Nick Good is looking out, but he's looking at um, Heather and Ryan because that just happened. But the camera is actually focused on the tree. And you just thinking like, okay, it's a tree in the middle of the mall. But then when you actually find out what the tree symbolizes and everything, that shot becomes, you know, so much more. Um, I feel like the credits in 94, Loki pulls an Ari Aster, if you know, you know, on telling you exactly what you need to expect from this movie. I won't spoil it if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, pulling a Nari Aster, but if you know, you exactly know. Um, some little details in the movie I liked. After Heather passes and her locker is like decorated, I know y'all noticed that S that we used to all draw on our notebooks. I missed that. I spotted it. It was the first thing I saw. I said, no. No, it's not. I love that touch. It stuck around for a while. Like that is, I don't, do they still do that? Do y'all still draw that? Younger listeners, younger survivors, let me know. Tell me. Another thing I think is a plus for this movie is the subtle storytelling. So throughout the movie, it says a lot without having to say much at all, right? So when we go to the vigil, if you look, there's a shot where obviously Shady Side's on one side and Sunny Bell's on the other. And if you look, it tells you everything you need to know. The shady side jerseys look so bad. Like they're just plain, they just have numbers on them. But when you look at the other side, when you look at Sunnyvale's, like theirs look so much nicer. They got their last names on them. And speaking of teams, even the mascot is the shady side witches and the Sunnyvale devils. I was like, oh wow, I'm loving all of this little planting that we're doing. I didn't even recognize how like much of an input good family had on Sunnydale until like the second movie because for some reason like it just clicked in my head I guess I just wasn't paying attention to the first one you know 
And then I absolutely love that they tell us the answer to their problems during the movie with the Jaws reference. The Jaws reference. So there's a scene where Simon, where Kate is babysitting and Simon's with her and he's in there watching Jaws. And it's when they're pouring the blood in the water and, you know, they're trying to trail the blood so the shark will follow them. And that oh. ends up being the answer to the solution. But it comes like early in the beginning of the movie and you're just thinking like, you know, I mean, he's just watching TV, but it's the answer to the problem. And it's so smartly done, just like Sam's reveal is smartly done. Like when I first watched it, I just knew Dina was mad at a boy. And it was just because we rarely get these characters in movies. So we're not even expecting it. Like, you know, right. so when it happened, I was just like, if I would have thought about it a little more, maybe I could have figured it out. But I mean, you know, you're not always here to just try to poke everything out from jump. But to say the least, I think those two characters are really good characters. And I personally enjoyed them. I mean, honestly, the only thing I didn't like about 94 was nothing i liked it but i do have to say <laughs> towards the middle it did drag a little bit before they figured out c berman survived the massacre it was right in that little scene like right when everybody was having their little um pound town powwows and mirror dances that's when it dragged for me a bit so that's gonna wrap up our little section on 94. take a little break when we come back, we're going to get all up into Camp Nightwing with Fear Street, 1978. Hello? It's not over. You are our last chance. How do we end this? You have to go back to 1978. The first day of camp. Like blood. Do you have a better idea? Maybe. Who are you? Nick Good. Bad things always happen to shady siders. You feel it, don't you? There's something holding us down. Who's seen us? Run. One way or another, you're gonna die tonight. There it is. It's not just a diary, it's a map. I'm not letting you die. My sister's still out there. Go, go, go! We can end this. You! You swore it's becoming a habit. I'll survive. I will survive. On July 19th, 1978 which is my brother's birthday. Ziggy Berman, another shady cider, is accused of stealing by Sheila, a Sunnyvale camper, and her friends. They rope her to a tree and begin to burn her before camp counselors Nick Good and Kurt intervene. Ziggy's older sister, Cindy, and her boyfriend, Tommy Slater, are cleaning the grounds. And while cleaning the mess hall, Nurse Lane attacks Tommy, claiming that he will die that night then is removed from the camp by the police. All of the teenagers, except Cindy, believe she was possessed by Sarah Fear, as was her shady side killer daughter, Ruby Lane. Later, Cindy and Tommy go into the infirmary to investigate her motive, where they run into counselors Alice, Cindy's former friend, and her boyfriend, Arnie. 
They find Lane's diary, which says that Fear made a deal with the devil by cutting her hand on Satan's stone, thereby earning internal life. They also find a map in the diary leading to Fear's house. When the group reaches the house, they find empty graves dug up by Nurse Lane and discover the witch's mark below the house. Alice and Cindy find a wall carved with the names of all the shady side killers and now Tommy's name is included. Tommy, now possessed, kills Arnie with an axe, chases the girls, but they escape into a cave. At camp, Nick helps Ziggy prank Sheila and lock her in the outhouse. The two bond and share a kiss. Tommy reaches the camp and murders several shady side campers. Nick takes several of the campers to the mess hall before leaving to find the others, instructs Kurt to take the campers to the bus and ring the bell before they leave to alert the others, while Ziggy goes to find Sheila. Meanwhile, Cindy and Alice try to escape using the witch's mark in the diary as a map of the cave. They come across a pile of beating organs, which when Alice touches, I don't know why she did that, gives her flashbacks of all the past killers and their victims. After Alice injures her leg, she reconciles with Cindy, and the two try to escape through a cave opening beneath the outhouse. After fighting an angry Sheila and having a BAM bitch went down moment, Ziggy and counselor Gary try to rescue Alice and Cindy until Tommy arrives and decapitates Gary. Ziggy escapes and hides with Nick, but the two are found by Tommy. He injures Nick, but Ziggy escapes to the mess hall. As the bus leaves, Cindy finds a route to the mess hall while Alice stays behind. Meanwhile, Tommy attacks Ziggy, but Cindy intervenes and kills him. Alice arrives and tells them that she found the witch's hands. When she started bleeding and realized she was sitting near Staten Stone, that's where she dug it out. The trio decided to end the curse by reuniting Sarah's hand when Ziggy suddenly bleeds on the hand and sees a vision of Sarah Fear. This triggers the curse, resurrecting several shady side killers, including Tommy, who rises and kills Alice, but Cindy swiftly decapitates him. Ziggy and Cindy run to the tree where the witch was hanging, the tree from the beginning, which the shady side killers are in pursuit. They dig and find a rock saying the witch forever lives, suggesting that this is not actually where Sarah was buried. The killers come and Cindy realizes that they are after Ziggy. She drops the hand and sacrifices herself. The two are murdered and the killers disappear until Nick finds them and saves Ziggy via CPR. Dina and Josh realize that C. Berman is Ziggy, whose real name is Christine. They tell her that they found the witch's body, and now with the hand, they can end the curse. The camp was turned into Shadyside Mall, where Dina and Josh go to dig out the hand from under the same tree. They take it to the place where the body is buried, and Dina reunites the body with the hand, where Dina's nose bleeds, and she sees a vision where she is in 1666 as Sarah Fear. I love this one so much better than the first one. I absolutely loved this one. This is a camp movie and how fitting for the month, right? Through majority of the movies we've covered, when it comes to like showing camp life, some do well and some fail. And this passed the vibe check. 
it was giving me sleepaway camp vibes at some points. Yeah, like I said, and I, I know I'm not going to shut up about it. I'm going to mention it a little bit later, but I mean, it's fine. Whatever. Again, the consistency was really strong in this movie. Again, with the flies. And I, I tried to pay attention to see, like, when do you first see it? You see instances of Tommy starting to, like, lose it. Like, especially that scene where they're, like, about to get the color war together and Jeremy's, like... You know, they're telling Jeremy he's going to be like the keeper. Tom just has like this moment. You don't see the fly being, but I was looking for it. I'm like, oh, snap, like it's just going to happen, you know? Or when Tommy gets crushed by the rocks, when he first snaps and you can still hear him breathing. The same thing happens in 94, too. And I'm like, I'm just liking when movies stay consistent and don't try to add new stuff that don't make sense or just like get rid of things that did make sense. like. People paid attention here. So I know that a lot of people were shocked about Ziggy being C. Berman, but that wasn't a really a twist for me. I can tell that the story was told from her point of view instantly. And if you really look, the hair colors of grown Ziggy and young Ziggy were slightly the same. I mean, for me, and obviously these are movies, when it comes to Emily Rudd, who plays Cindy, I... I would have bought that that was her in the future. And I mean, the way that they dressed everything up. And like I said, I'm never, unless it's just blatant and it's poorly done, then that's when I can pull codes and be like, well, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is. Like you show me in the trailer that Max clearly gets stabbed with the voice saying, and on that day, my sister was dead and da, 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 da. And I know that Sadie Sink is a more popular star. And that's what made me think like, oh, okay, well, they're gonna kill the sister. And you also know that everybody except one person is going to die because it's a massacre and they tell you like only one person made it. But when it comes to Cindy, I would have totally bought that this would be her in the future. Like you see, um, when we meet Cindy in 78, she's one of the, she's just like Kate, right? Where she wants to get out of Shady's side and she's gonna do whatever she needs to do necessary even down to buying this new polo shirt that will, you know, you know how it is being a teenager and you have some article of clothing that's gonna get you validation or make you look a certain way. And the symbolism in her polo, speaking of, getting ruined throughout the movie is absolutely perfect. When the um, red moss first stains it, and then when they're walking in the woods and the hole gets poked in it from the tree, the entire cave scene, like throughout the whole movie, that polo get down to her getting axed 11 fucking times. And it was, oh my goodness, I'm hopping all over. I didn't even intend to talk about this like this survivors, but it's fine, y'all just vibing with us. When they got killed, I was crying. I was legit crying and that's when it hit me that like, I'm like, okay, well she's getting like axed like in the chest. Like there's no way she's surviving this. Like how the fuck did she survive? And then I'm looking at Max who's just getting like gut shot about maybe mm, seven times in the side. But I was in tears watching. I mean, it could be because I have five sisters that I'm very close to, but I can never imagine being inches away from my sister and that happening to us. I was in tears. Like, I thought it was well done. So they fooled me. I did not like Cindy. She got on my nerves. But when she stopped, shook the goody two shoes and started believing and stuff, then I started to like her. But for the most of the movie, I hated her. She was a great character. Like, 
Emily Rudd did a great job. Usually, I don't like the goody-goody, but she actually brought something a little more real to the character that makes it bearable. Like, she just, like I said, like, she's just like Kate. She just wants to get out and make things better for herself. She's not annoying. Yes, she's a little uptight, but I would expect that character to be a little bit uptight. Like, we're in the 70s. Things were so much different. And I think she executed that character. I really liked her, and I was so sad. Oh, I was torn. Y'all can hear it in my voice. I was so upset. Because even when it comes to Tommy. Love Tommy as the killer. Played so well. You get to know Tommy, regular Tommy. Like, you see this sweet guy. Like, he's never aggressive towards Cindy, the burning guys. Or anything. Like, never anything bad. Just a sweet guy, right? And we rarely see that. Like, the boyfriend is always a dick, right? You know? And to see this happen... Literally, and it's funny because in 1994, I forgot to mention this, we get a Shining reference when Tommy is like axing the door, but it's literally how I think of The Shining when you just see somebody slowly go mad because Tommy was fighting it at first. He wasn't trying to do this. And when she has to like kill him and then go on to behead him, like she has to do so much. Like both of them, I think both of them did a really good job in these roles. I mean, all the characters, honestly, because even... Alice, I liked her arc. Like at first I thought she was gonna be fucking annoying. I was like, okay, here we go with this character. But she was pretty like cool in the end. And I know after she touched those organs <laughs> in the cave, if she had lived, I know she would have never got high in her life ever again. Cause I know she was on the trip of her life when she touched them damn organs and seen all them spirits. I would have been good too, sis. The thing about Nick, I hated that he portrayed her at the end. Because the thing about him is evil runs deep, honey. I don't know. At first I wasn't I wasn't on, I wasn't catching it. On rewatch, catching all of his reactions, especially when he's talking to that officer and the officer, you know, mentions his dad just passed and you know. He knew what was up the whole entire time. That's why that whole, we got big shoes to feel. He knew what he was talking about. Like he knew. He sure did. The betrayal. I wasn't a big fan of that. That actually made me sad. Cause now you make her feel like she crazy. There's a lot of gaslighting going on here. And you know what? It gets worse. I did like Ziggy though. I think she was a great main character. I definitely have Ziggy appreciation. Sadie Sink. Um, a lot of people be like, Stranger Things, Stranger Things. I'm like, no, 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 y'all need to check her other work. One movie I really like her in in particular is Eli. Oh, she does such a good job in that movie. And I cannot wait to see the things that this child does because she's really good. It's a few people. Everybody in this cast does a great bang up job. But please let me talk about, um, I don't know if her name is Chiara Aurelia as Sheila. Baby, that's Judy. Judy, 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 you was about to burn her over $10? <laughs> I'm like, sis, what? Like, okay, now I'm not gonna stunt. When they pulled that prank on her in the outhouse, I was terrified because I'm thinking, like, she's freaking out and I'm thinking she gonna kick over a candle and the shit was gonna go up in flames. That didn't happen, thank the Lord. But that wasn't nothing but a baby Judy. Did she end up dying? No, none of the Sunny Bailers died. Only Shady Siders died. Oh, she should have been killed off principle. Nope, she just was passed out in the outhouse. 
And the kills, oh my God, the kills in this movie. You get Arnie with the ax to the face. Poor Jeremy, the little, little chunky boy with the glasses. He gets it in the shed. Then, oh my God, Joan. We haven't even talked about Joan. I love the character of Joan, guys. So Joan is the shady side counselor. I mean, it's a few counselor, but she's like the pretty girl counselor with the little crochet top in the beginning, the one that's rolling up at the lunch table. And I liked her because first of all, y'all know, we I haven't done this in a minute. Small role, big part. I haven't done that in a minute. And she definitely gets one because I like that they didn't make her the average fast girl of the movie. You know, like it was very tasteful. Like, you know, obviously teens have sex. They do that, obviously. But it wasn't like extra how some movies will do it. And then she was still very sweet. It just wasn't overdone. She was a really sweet girl that just did what we do. You know what I'm saying? She reminded me a lot of Marcy from Friday the 13th, the original one. If you know that Marcy character, like that little sweet, innocent, but you know, still a something, that was her. And when Tommy came and asked her, I just didn't know what to do. I was just so sad. And then the way they show you everything in the kills, I mean, the only one we didn't see was the three shady siders in the shed. But like I said, I, I know I won't shut up about it, so I won't go on about it. But even when Nick finds them, he reacts just like Eddie from Sleepaway Camp. Like, I legit, like that whole scene, I know I said I wasn't going to do it. But that whole scene is literally what Angela did to them kids. And I'm not going to shut up about it. Then Gary getting beheaded out of fucking nowhere and... Oh, all the kills in this movie. Did I just do a kill count? Probably Look so. Look at me. <laughs> I really did. I really did just sit here and do a whole kill count. But, and then another person I want to mark for small character, big part, is Nurse Lane. Like, she literally, okay, she's the catalyst for what happens at Camp Nightwing, to be real, real. But when she's, like, attending to Ziggy's arm and she's getting lost in her thoughts and like like starts hurting Ziggy. I'm just like, oh, she, like she's really, really good. Ugh. I just could not take it. Like this movie really, really took me there with everything. Like even the references, once again, Carrie is forever relevant. It was forever relevant through this series. Like every movie had a Carrie reference and I absolutely love that. I think it's funny. I watched the interview with Lee and she was saying that at this point since 90, not 97 since 1978 was filmed last at this point she was just so tired and over it she just wanted more blood at the end she was like just more blood more blood more blood i'm glad she did and i mean i got one more speaking of references did anybody peep that conjuring hide and clap reference was it just me okay let me help y'all out so when they're all in the cave right and Tommy is about to turn and Arnie goes to check on him and he's like, um, dude, like, are you okay? And it's a close-up shot on Tommy's face. And the way the music is, okay, you like either Tommy gonna lunge at the camera or you know it's gonna be one of them scares. But instead, Arnie puts his hands in front of the camera and just goes, and the scene cuts. 
I don't know who put it in the movie, but whoever did it, I love you and I saw it and your work did not go unnoticed. I peeped it, boo. I also peeped the Hocus Pocus reference when they walked down there and it was like, someone lit the candle. I was like, oh my God, this is too much for me. Y'all did a good job. Y'all went off on this. I think, I think I've said all I can say about 1978. All right, y'all, we're almost there. Just one more little break and we'll be back to talk about Fear Street 1666. The devil has come. And cast his darkness over us. And his darkness grows within each of us. Devil has come. Do you see it now? Don't you? So Dina goes ahead, bringing the hand back to Sarah Fear's body to rest with her corpse. Upon doing so, Dina has a vision showing the events of 1666. But this time, she's actually Sarah Fear herself. Living with her father George and her brother Henry in Union, the original settlement before it was divided into Sunnyvale and Shadyside, the community also includes Pastor Cyrus Miller, his daughter Hannah, Sarah's love interest, Abigail and her sister Constance, Mad Thomas, Caleb, Sarah's friends Lizzie and Isaac, Solomon Good, that's the ancestor of Sheriff Nick Good, and Solomon's brother, Elijah. One night, while Sarah, Lizzie, and Hannah make their way to a little party, a little function for the young adults, they sneak into a tent belonging to a reclusive widow, where Sarah ends up finding and reading a book on black magic. After fleeing, she and her friends arrive at the party, and there, she and Hannah are harassed by Caleb. He's trying to get on, but he lame. They reject his advances. The two run off and they get intimate, unknowingly seen by Matt Thomas. The next day, Pastor Miller begins to act strange as the town is struck with a horrible misfortune. Sarah confides in Solomon about everything, about her and Hannah, all of that because she wonders if she's the one responsible for the town's bad luck. The two then hear a scream and realize Pastor Miller has locked several children in the chapel. They break down the door, discovering that Pastor Miller has murdered the children, including Henry and Constance. Sarah, shocked upon the discovery, is nearly killed by Pastor Miller before he gets killed himself by Solomon. Later on, a union meeting is held, which the union decides that witchcraft is the cause of the grim events they're suffering. Caleb, because he's still upset, claims that Sarah and Hannah are the witches responsible, and the two attempt to flee, but Hannah is captured while Sarah escapes as the town declares that Hannah will be executed at dawn. Later that night, Sarah snuck into the chapel where they're keeping Hannah and you know, they're having their moment. She decides to retrieve the widow's book and use it to make a deal with the devil to save Hannah, 
But when she goes, the book is gone and the widow's dead. She flees to Solomon's house for help and hides in the back room after he is ambushed by men hunting her. While hiding, she finds tunnels underneath his house, revealing a whole lot of weird shit, as well as the widow's book. It's revealed that Solomon is the one that took the book and made the deal with the devil, offering Pastor Miller to be possessed to kill the others in exchange for power and wealth. He offers to share it with her, but Sarah ain't going. Dipping off into the tunnels, he follows her and the two begin to fight, which results in her hand getting cut off. She makes her way out, but is promptly found by the townspeople and arrested. At Sarah and Hannah's execution, Sarah is able to convince the town people to spare Hannah's life at the cost of her own. Sarah swears vengeance from the grave just before she's executed by hanging. And shortly after, Lizzie, Isaac, Hannah, and Abigail grieve Sarah and properly bury her body. Cut to Fear Street 1994, Part 2. As Dina's vision ends, she realizes that the good family ain't good at all. And they're actually responsible for the entire Shady Side curse. As the firstborn of each generation repeats the ritual begun by their ancestor Solomon. She and Josh are found by Sheriff Nick, who begins to realize that they are catching on to him. The two siblings manage to escape in Nick's car and arrive at Ziggy's house, where Ziggy is still watching a possessed Sam. Ziggy is shocked at the fact that Nick and his family are the reason for her sister's death, but understand that they must kill Nick in order to stop the Shady Side curse. After they recruit the help of Martin, who we met earlier in the first movie, and I don't even think we even talked about him enough, but it's okay, he about to get his shine. The crew concocts a plan to lure Nick to the mall and set traps to have the undead kill him. Despite an initial setback, where several police officers arrive and are killed. The plan begins to work and the group manages to temporarily trap the killers. Ziggy lures Nick to the center of the mall where she pulls a string that pours a bucket filled with Dina's blood and some water. You know, she ain't bleed out that much, y'all. Calm down. All over him. Kinda, you know, just like how they did Sheila at Camp Nightwing. Y'all know. Callbacks. And like I said, you know, carrying people forever relevant however nick manages to escape into the tunnels and dina and a possessed sam follow him while the others fight off the undead shady side killers sam catches up to dina but dina is able to break sam out of her possession temporarily before knocking her out nick pins dina down and nearly kills her but Dina is able to expose Nick to the unholy mass, you know, the organs, at the center of the tunnels, which gives him a vision of all of his killer's victims. With Nick distracted, Dina gains the upper hand and stabs him in the eye, which makes the undead killers disappear and breaks the curse on Shadyside forever. Later, the good family is exposed for their heinous acts, even though Bro Bro was trying to act like, I didn't know that was a thing. And Martin finds a career in selling technology. Basically, he the bootleg man, y'all, but it's okay. We gonna support. And Dina and Sam have a picnic date at Sarah Fear's grave. It's not over because as we see in the mid-scene credits, somebody takes the satanic book. I just want to say their accents were terrible. 
definitely you could tell that they're putting it on. It didn't bother me. Actually, I think Sam kind of had the most natural accent out of them all. I don't even think she had one. I like Sam's character throughout the entire Fear Street thing. In the 90s, you're going to have that damsel in distress. She's not in the 78 one, so you don't even pay attention there. But even in this one, when she's Hannah Miller, she does a good job because she's a naive girl that's under her parents' shelter. And I get that from her. She just it she just didn't stick. It she just wasn't like I could have done without her. That's how I felt about her character. She just didn't like stand out to me. I like how and I didn't say this. I probably should have led with it. In this movie, assuming that you guys have seen it and you're not just listening to us because you want to spend time with us. Everybody that we've seen in the first prior movies play someone in this movie. I just want to say I like how they completely flipped Abigail's character in this one because Cindy's all sweet, prim and proper, but apparently Abigail be getting down in 1666, honey. Um, it was cute. I was with it. I think everybody does what they're supposed to do, even the extra characters. Like when we um, meet Pastor Miller, he's so sweet. He's so nice. And then when it flips, when they walked into the church and he's just standing there at the um, podium, I got Bagul vibes. It was definitely sinister too. I was just like, oh, I don't like the way this feels. Like this is mm -mm 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 -mm." And the thing is they showed us this before and it still got me. I think Nick Good looked better as Solomon. Cause he had Nick Good looked like the fake Jesus photos that they tried to sell us and no. Like and do I think that act that actor could pull off long hair? Naturally, yes. That wig, no. And then Dina, I didn't like her doing the climax. Uh, Sarah. Because? I felt like she just shut up and ate her food. <laughs> like, I feel like she was mad that Solomon got to the book first. And I don't think Solomon was really in the wrong. He probably would have broke off a little something, something if she ain't stab him and run. He tells her that, you know, I will share this with you if you don't say anything. She decides that I'm not going down like that. And that's when she freaks out and runs. So, I mean, he literally offered to share it with her. She just ain't want it like that. Then I also was mad because it's just like a scoring man to be mad you can't get no push to see screen wish. I just want to say it's just like a white man to blame somebody else and just let them take the fall for it. That's what really got me. Because the thing about this installment is you find out that Sarah Fear is not even a goddamn witch. She ain't had nothing to do with this. I mean, she did have something to do with this. But as far as like the curse part, no, like this was all they're doing. And I absolutely love the symbolism at the end when they come up out the caves and we're in this beautiful clean home and their footsteps are just dirtying up the carpet subtle symbolism and you get that throughout the entire series as i pointed out facts for but when they walk out the first thing that happens is a car accident and i'm like this is not supposed to happen in sunnyvale but those days are over now like it's so perfect as soon as she ran to the house back in 1666 i knew it was solomon as soon as she ran to the house for me I was thinking that it was either going to be a situation where like literally how it happened, like when Caleb just accused them because 
they refused his advances. I thought it was gonna be a situation like that. And maybe um, Solomon would try to help her, but then found out something and then turn on her. If any of you have seen the series, and I can't believe I mean even bringing this up because ill, but the series Them, that one episode, I guess it was episode eight, definitely reminded me of this installment, 1666. And if you know what I'm talking about, then you know what I'm talking about, because that's all I'm going to be talking about that show on this podcast, hopefully. But uh, I saw the parallels there, and definitely 1666 apparently does it better. Overall, I liked all the parallels between all of the movies. Like, for instance, 1978 and 66, when Sarah was kicking her way into the meeting house like Cindy did in 1978. Yeah, and you get to see literally everything because you learn from 1666, that's originally where Shadyside and Sunnyville was, as I said earlier. But then, of course, that turns into Cam Nightwing. And then that turns into the mall. When Dina and Solomon are fighting in the cave and she goes through that little hole, you're like, oh, dang, that's the same one that Alice and Cindy found in 78 before they figured out they could crawl through the outhouse. Like, I like that repetition of set. I agree. So I really liked her and the true story of Sarah here. It was more fucked up than her cutting off her hand. But the, I felt like for me, it was kind of boring until the plot twist with her running to Solomon's house. That's when it picked up for me and I got excited. So I feel like when we get into movies like The Witch or Let the Right One In, I probably feel like you might not like those movies. There was some M. Night Shyamalan movie where I, they were like in a, a similar setting. The Village. Was it? It might have been the village. Yeah, I didn't know that one. Also, I want to know why they, when they were in the mall, they had the pizza still sitting out. That bothered me. Like, you don't clean up before you close the mall. It's so weird. And then also at the end, why would you ever leave a book like that out in the open? The witch's book. I can't explain that one either. But I did like the fact that Josh found out who he's been messaging the whole time. It's like, oh. That was so cute. Josh was just a really cute character in general. I loved him. He's my favorite. But let's get into Martin real quick, because I ain't really get to talk about him in 1994. He's definitely one of my favorites, because first of all, this is prime example of how hitters be minding their business, and people just want to come mess with you. I'm so mad he had to get set up like that, but I'm glad he found out. And I'm glad when they pulled up and was like, want to help us kill Sheriff Good? He was like, I ain't not a problem, let me get my coat. And just his comedic timing, when he goes to the back, to the pizza parlor, and he sees Sam, like, oh, his little tied up, possessed little white girl. I know in his head, like, you know, it's a character, but in his head, he's like, see, no, this is how, see, this is how this happens, but love Martin. Also, I really just want to, before we wrap up, I just really want to love on Dina. And I already mentioned Sam, but I really did like Dina because I was reading a lot of people didn't like her character. Like they thought she was bratty and just thought like she just like was not rational. I'm like, well, um, excuse me, teenager. Hello. I think she was fine. Like this is exactly how you would react. Like y'all acting like y'all ain't never been here before. And it's so crazy because 
when you are a teenager, it really feels like that. And I get it now. I mean, I'm not a teenager, obviously, but um, someone that's around that has a lot of teenagers around me, I'm just like, I get it. Like, I actually know what you mean because the times really do change and you think you know what it's like because you've been a teenager before, but it's literally not the same teenager as it was when you were a teenager. It's so different. And the way she was acting, the, I mean, obviously the issue was a simple issue. You got a girlfriend, she don't live here no more. She all brand new, y'all not together. That's like the only person you feel that understands you at the time. Like we've all, or at least I would hope, we've all been there. So the fact that people couldn't relate to that and was just harping on her saying that she was bratty and this, 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 I don't get it. Now the part where people be like, well, I just would have let Sam die to save my friends. I feel that. I understand that. I get that. However, let her die. However, I just also feel like, you know, if we can try to have both, maybe, but I'm just saying, I just, I'm still very, very, don't get it twisted, y'all. As much as I'm defending Dina, I'm still very upset we had to lose Kate because that was the shine <laughs> of the movie, okay? Justice for Kate. <laughs> But yeah, I can't relate to the, I don't think I had that type of relationship experience where it was just like, you're the only person that relates to me. I, I didn't have that type of experience. So I think this about wraps up our Fear Street Trilogy conversation. But before we officially wrap it up, we have to rank and rate. And obviously it's a no brainer that um, my top spot is gonna go to 78. It's just a flawless victory, like fatality, period. When it comes to the next two movies, I'm going to pull the Libra card. I'm not even gonna torture y'all. I'm gonna pull the Libra card and give them a tie because I like them equally. As you can hear through the prior conversation that we just had, there are elements in 94 that I absolutely adore being a slasher fan. And there are absolutely elements I love in 1666 story-wise. And y'all know me, I love wrapping things up in a bow and the way that it wrapped everything up and also threw some things at you was great too. I thought the pacing was fine for all of the movies. I'm going to rank the entire Fear Street trilogy. Ooh, I'm gonna, shit, it knocked it out the park for me. I'm gonna go ahead and give it a 90. There we go. So for me, I gave it a 70. I love the way the stories are weaved together, all the parallels, like the moss, the body bags, loved all the music. I'm actually glad that this didn't get a theatrical release. I don't know how well it would have done in theaters. It seems better as a Netflix original, even though that wasn't the original intention. Um, I think it may have fared better as a TV show Then we could have gotten more background on certain characters and or killers. But yeah, that's my reading. My survivors, your fast pass has come to an end. I hope you enjoyed this bonus mini episode even though nothing about it was mini at all tell us how you feel about the fear street trilogy like i said y'all can hit us up on our twitter at d180 podcast if you just want to hang out you can also hit us up on our ig at d180 podcast if you want us to do more 
bonus episodes. I don't know if we're going to keep them on the podcast. We might open up something for you so you can have some exclusiveness. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. Got to see how I feel. But hit us up at Destination180Podcast at gmail.com and let us know if you have ideas for more bonus mini episodes you would like to hear. And we'll let you know what we're feeling. But I mean, other than that, make sure, because y'all got two episodes on a Friday. So if y'all don't go to Shudder, go watch Ruin Me and go listen to that episode. Then for the 1500th time, CW app, five episodes, even though I know Cody. Hi, Cody. I know you said what you said and I felt the same way, but I did it so everybody else can do it too. We will see y'all next time when we close Camp 180 for the summer and talk about the big daddy of all camp slashes. Friday the 13th. We'll see you soon, survivors. Bye, guys.